Hey everyone, I'm Mike Levy. Welcome back to another episode of the Pink Bike Podcast with a bit of a twist because we're recording this one in the field. Not an actual field, of course, but the upcoming value field test that you'll be able to watch in about a month's time or so if everything goes smooth. Maybe don't hold me to that exact... End of April then, guys, yeah. (laughs) Summer. (laughs) Uh, Depends how much more snow we get here, actually. So this time around for the value field test, we've got five trail hardtails, and they all cost between $1,100 and $1,700 American dollars. We've got five trail full suspension bikes that cost between $2,100 and $3,000. So 10 bikes in total. Uh, If that sounds interesting to you, give this podcast a five chili pepper rating and make sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode. Oh, that timing was great. Episode, it's great. A single episode of me mispronouncing words. (laughs) I think we were talking about moving over to the tractor rating. Oh, the tractors. Yeah. Chili peppers are good, but that used to, you know. Well, chili peppers have historic value to me. Uh, I know, but They're Francis Sebedo, from... I don't want to step on yeah. Francis's toes. Oh, no, it's loving. It's not like, okay. I, I don't mean it in like a Francis. mean. Yeah, it's definitely not a mean way. It's just like, that's sort of how we rate things with chili peppers in the mountain bike world. Yeah, we could do tractors. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So today I've got my teammate for this value field test, Sarah Moore, here with us, as well as my intern. Hey, Casimir. Hello. We've also got Brian Park to make sure we don't get off track and accidentally talk about cars or something for the next hour. Brian, when can I do a car podcast? You can do a car podcast whenever. I just can't play it on pink bike, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So Sarah's going to read the news in a few minutes. But first, let's, let's explain exactly what this latest value field test is all about and why we're doing it. Brian, why am I doing this? I mean, mostly because I feel really guilty that I wrote a $10,000 titanium hardtail last year. Without cable guides. (laughs) No. You should feel guilty. (laughs) No. You know what? A lot of new riders came into the sport this year, and we're hoping we can help them either buy a bike once some bikes are available or buy their next bike once they, you know, they fixed up their old bikes or they, you know, bought a $400 hardtail from a buddy, and they're getting into mountain biking, and when they're ready to graduate up from that, then, you know, we hope that this can be useful. And I mean, personally, I I think it's the most interesting category. There's no, there's no masking bad designs with good parts. Uh, You know, this is really where product managers have to earn their keep. So yeah, I'm interested. Hey, Kaz, how, how was that last $10,000 super bike you rode? How did that test go? Was it a good bike? Let me guess it was great, right? (laughs) Yeah, in most cases it is. So yeah, I mean, it, it is nice to kind of like you get this point of diminishing returns as you go above, I don't know, above $5,000, all those bikes work pretty good and there's not a lot to complain about, but it's harder to make a good bike that doesn't cost that much. So it is, I don't know if I call this the most interesting category, but it is a super relevant and it's just kind of nice to dig in and see what you can get for, you know, X amount of dollars. See, I I feel like it's definitely the most interesting thing. You know, if if we had a bunch of $7,000 bikes, man, they're all going to work. Like all those brakes are going to work. And I think that you and I, we're going to boil it down to we end up boiling it down to like what the bikes best suit instead of who they best suit and the terrain they best suit instead of like, this is wrong or this is bad or this spec doesn't work, you know? And like, there are some objectively bad spec choices on $3,000 bikes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And Kaz, you know, you and I, we end up arguing on these really expensive bikes about whether they need two piston brakes or four piston brakes, you know? And that's like, that's not that interesting, you know? Yeah, I think you just get more of the new, like, cutting-edge technology ends up on the higher price bikes. I think, to me, I do like the new, you know, people trying to push that development a little bit more forward. But, um, yeah, I'm not trying to diminish from the value, the importance of these bikes, because they're they're the bikes we all started on or wished we could have started on. And so, like, there's definitely... Why are you so elitist? I don't think I'm elitist at all. Why do you think you're so much better? (laughs) If I was going to buy a bike, it definitely wouldn't be a $10,000 bike. Like, I don't... I'm I'm curious, Kaz. Mm -hmm. So... How, how much would you spend on a bike? This uh, $5,000. Yeah. Which would be a lot. Like even for all things. That's a lot of money. A lot of money. But because it's like my favorite thing in the world to do, I could justify it. Yeah. Uh, Sarah, how much money would you spend on a bike? Like, you know that, you know how good XTR or Axis works or like whatever, fancy stuff, carbon stuff. You know that. So in light of that, do you need to spend eight grand? Would you spend five grand, four grand? You know, what? what's appropriate? I mean, I feel like five grand was the number I had in my head, but like. 
Canadian dollars. It's probably going to be like $7,500 <laughs> Canadian is what I'm actually going to 7,500 tokens. <laughs> and it is like the most expensive sport I do and one of the only sports I do. So, you know, if I bought a sled, it would be way more expensive or a motorbike. So I can, yeah. I think I could justify a $7,500. I did buy a $2,800 motorbike. So okay. not really. I mean, it's, it's a scooter. Yeah, it is a scooter. It, it kind of is a scooter. It's a sick scooter, <laughs> to, to be fair. That's the motorbike that most people should own. I I think that we need to do a podcast down the road, Brian, where we have to like come up with the bike that we would actually buy for X amount of dollars. Like you're going to have to give us a price and... You know that you did that, right? Already on a podcast. Oh, did I? Like, like I don't think I did a very ago. good job, yeah. though. No, you, did, you ran out of money. <laughs> <laughs> I got yeah, because you frame. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Levy, how much would you spend on a bike? You're the one that doesn't know what anything costs. In your mind, yeah. your dream bike probably is yeah, more no, than. I'm not good yeah, that's what happened. Yeah. I'm not good yeah. with. He with... thinks his dream bike is actually two thousand dollars. Yeah. Like, he's... what do you mean? <laughs> we. I, okay. Yeah. We're gonna. I think we're gonna have to redo that podcast <laughs> at some point in the near future, especially in light of our topic today. Mm-hmm. Um. So there's lots more to cover with the value field test, and we're going to talk about it for way too long later on in this podcast, including revealing all 10 of our test bikes and having a bit, of close, a bit of a closer look at them. So keep listening if you want to hear more of that. But first, it's the news, and it's Sarah. I'll put on my best British accent so that you can pretend that it's James reading the news here. Um, we've got it written down here. Uh, it says, to ask Brian about 26-inch wheels making a comeback. A third of wheel sales right now are 26-inch wheels? What is yeah, this, Brian? This is, no, that was just a note. Um, I was speaking to a, a aftermarket rim manufacturer recently, and they just dropped like casually that they've seen a big increase in 26-inch wheel sales um, because, I guess, uh, a lot of people are fixing up old bikes. But like they went from like it being a fraction of a you know t- one or two percent of of their sales before and now it's yeah it's over a third of their aftermarket wheel sales right now or rim sales right now are 26 inch rims is how many wheels do they sell in total though like is this are they I selling like a decent eight, amount, <laughs> a decent amount. no i know they, they sell some pretty good volume so you believe that people are buying 26 inch wheels to put on their old bikes I mean, that's the well, only thing I can come up with. Yeah, replacing. Makes sense. Like they, yeah, yeah. They dragged Dirt it out of the garage. Maybe. They haven't ridden it. No, like they're old mountain bikes that they haven't ridden in 20 years. And like, I need to go outside because lockdown or whatever. And then that's where it's coming from. Yeah. Or that, 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 that's school. my assumption too. It's people yeah. people building up their uh, their old bikes, their old Rocky Mountain Hammer race, getting it all tuned up and ready to go. Hey, can we do a 26 inch wheeled bike project in the future? Like, I know we, we have, have a lot of projects on yeah, the go. We have so many projects. <laughs> we, we, already have the sh- we have the shit, to gold, the shit to gold challenge that we're working on. So you'll hear about that soon. Uh, oh, okay. It's going to be a challenge for you. It's okay. <laughs> um, Tell me about that when, when you know more. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So in the news this week, we've got a first look at the 2021 Raw Jib. The Raw Madonna has become a bit of a cult classic with its rugged and durable design. In fact, there's even a couple pink bike staff who've picked it up as their personal bike. For four years, that was actually the only bike that Raw produced, but it now has a stable mate in the Raw Jib. So rather than that 160 millimeter travel of the Madonna, this is a 135 millimeter bike, although you can fit up to a 160 millimeter fork on it. As the name suggests, this is supposed to be a bit more of a playful option for riders, although it's 29-inch wheels and long chainstays suggests that it still carries over plenty of that plowability of the Madonna. Brian, you've probably spent the most time on the Madonna. Do you think this is the right next step for Raw? Well, I can see that Levy's are like I wrote down the weight, and I can see Levy's just <laughs> vibrating in anger. You can go ahead and tell them, Levy. It's a nine-pound frame, and it weigh it. it it has 135 millimeters. I'm getting so flustered. I can't even. So, yeah. <laughs> it's a nine pound frame? frame. How much does that Active 5 frame weigh? Yeah. I mean, that was steel and, <laughs> and, uh, high pitched. So. <laughs> how much did you I, like it? <laughs> I liked it a lot, but yeah. you're calling the bike jib. First of all, it should have 26 inch wheels if you're going to call it exactly. Jib. And Thor Wixom should get, <laughs> should get royalties. He definitely gets some kickbacks. Yeah. I don't know. I know. Okay. So I get there's, there's a ton of 
five, six pound frames with that much travel. So it is cool to see another burly option for riders who want less travel with something that's going to be reliable. They don't have to think about. Personally, I think that a nine pound frame, is that before the shock, Casimir? No, that's with shock. That's with, that's shock. with shock. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. it's probably lighter than the Acto 5 then. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, keep going. No, you're right. You're right. It, I agree. I, I think that the the Madonna is definitely it's a couple pounds overweight, but like you know, who am I to judge? And in the in that category of enduro ish bikes, it makes sense for a lot of what these bikes see. Whereas like, yeah, the jib to me, I don't know if I'm as forgiving of the weight. I'm not sure if I'd be as willing to carry around that extra weight. Um, it does look super fun. Ruben knows what he's doing. Um, I I guess I would have liked to see maybe a. Yeah, just a lighter tube set rather than... I'm pretty sure, Kaz, do you know, is it just the, the Madonna tube set in a different configuration? It kind of seems like it. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure yeah. what, like which comes mm-hmm. from what, but I mean, with that weight, I don't think they changed a ton there. Um, yeah, I, it looks interesting. I'd ride it, but I kind of wished it was a little different, but I'm sure it's fun. Yeah. yeah. And people that say knows what he's doing, so yeah. Yeah, the people were mad that it's you can't jib it because it has 29-inch wheels, but... Look, oh, overlook the name it's oh, gonna be my. it is gonna be a more playful bike than the madonna just a little poppier but yeah next up we've got another new bike uh pivots trail 429 has had an update and as the name suggests it's a brand short travel trail bike and it remains at 120 millimeter travel the main difference over the 2018 model is that the shock is now oriented vertically not horizontally which brings it in line with the rest of pivots bikes released over the past 18 months it also, of course, has the standard lower, longer slacker uh, treatment. What? No way. <laughs> and it's actually shed. You'll be happy to hear this, Levy. It's shed about three quarters of a pound in weight. What do you guys think of this one? I think it that three quarters of a pound was what was really holding Levy back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it does look like a fun, snappy little short travel bike. The numbers are pretty modern without being crazy. So I'm sure it'll appeal to a wide kind of a broad range of people looking for this style bike still has that super boost though which i'm not sold on that and yeah what does the um revised shock position provide the bike with was it done for more bottle clearance casimir was it done for a reason or just a redesign um i mean it goes in line with what they've been doing i'd imagine it helps with the bottle clearance and just kind of like better packaging of everything but uh yeah i'm not sure if they gave an actual reason in the well, and now it looks like all the other bikes in the, their are other bikes yeah in the other when they first came out with that orientation on the i forget which was the was the cross-country bike the first one they did that on maybe and then the switchblade got it yeah yeah somebody correct us but uh i do <laughs> know <will>. that <laughs> yeah i do know that they were pretty happy with being able to match curves pretty closely and get similar performance and i think it was to get a little bit more suppleness off the top on the xc bike Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I'm. I mean, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure they've had a bit, a couple of cracks at this now, and I bet that it's pretty refined. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I bet it is a fast, sporty bike. DW Link. Chris knows his shit. Those bikes are sorted. So, are we going to get one at some point? Is someone riding one? Uh, Dan Sap has one. Excellent. We got some prototype bikes that were spotted this week as well. Not just one, but two, uh, one of them in Europe and one in North America. Uh, the first was a full suspension bike photographed near Beale in Switzerland. And there's a number of brands in that area. There's GT Swiss, which we don't see that making a frame anytime soon. There's Bold, uh, which they'd probably want to keep their hidden shock USP design. And then there's BMC. And we actually reached out to BMC and they've since got back to us and said, at this stage, we can only confirm that we are busy working on something new. We'll for sure keep you informed when the right time comes. So it's a BMC. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, it looks, looks good. neat. It yeah. looks cool. Yeah. It, it looks like a low slung, fun thing. Do we know any details? Travel anything? No. No, they're not showing any details. It looks yet. like a big it looks like a pretty big bike though. Yeah. And it's been a while since they've had a longer travel bike come out from them. I can't remember the last time that one the current longest travel thing got an update. So pretty neat to see them take a little different direction. How did we find this one? Did someone send us a photo? Was it on social media? It was originally on the European Bike Project's Instagram. Oh. Yeah, someone sent them. So someone sent it to them, and then we got it from them. 
And then the second bike that was spotted was in North Vancouver. And this is actually, it was taken, the photo was taken by somebody who had already sent us some spy shots of another bike at one point. Um, It looks like it comes from Da Vinci and that they've taken that high pivot from the Wilson that they were testing on World Cup downhills and applied it to a shorter travel bike. Was there anything else that you guys saw from the shots that we got of uh, the Da Vinci? I think this thing looks good. Same. It looks really good, doesn't it? It, uh, I mean, we're we're saying, I don't think we have confirmation, do we, that it's a Vinci? It just looks exactly like that bike they were testing. Like, exactly the same layout. I think we we're do. We're pretty confident? We're pretty confident. Pretty confident, yeah. Pretty confident, okay. <laughs> yeah. Right now, Julia is listening to this <laughs> and being like, oh, shit! <laughs> That's not our bike, I swear! <laughs> so, we saw their, that World Cup downhill bike with that high pivot, and now we have this thing. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw... I know they said the downhill bike isn't... I think they just listened to your podcast like last week or two weeks ago and quickly whipped this up for you. <laughs> yeah. Like, hi, hey, thanks, Dimitri. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> and that, Quick carbon that mold. prototype... Yeah, that prototype on the back of the car that we saw in North Vancouver, I mean, that's a carbon mold. I mean, it, it looks real close to being ready, doesn't it? Yeah, that's a that's a do three three or four different link revisions and and get it going. Yeah, it doesn't we doesn't sound like we'll see anything though until at least the fall. So it might look ready, but it's not quite ready yet. Do we want to take guesses on travel? I mean, they just debuted like a new one fifty bike though. Yeah, well, it's I mean the Spartan, now. right? Bigger, yeah. Spartan's what like a one sixty five bike or something? I'd imagine it'd be enduroy. Yeah, super enduroy. Man, I really like that old Spartan. That's for sure. Anyways, moving on, we had an opinion piece. Where are all the affordable bolt-on tube holders? Just Kaz. breaking, just hard-hitting <laughs> hard news. Kaz, you really picked a serious topic here. Do you know yeah, that you, you know you can get frame straps, right? I know, but then what do I do with the little bolts on all the bikes? They all have Take two little bolts. Save weight. Well, that was one of the things I mentioned you could do. Yeah. <laughs> so you tried a number of bolt-on holders, but none really impressed you. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like a super easy thing. It should be like like buying a bottle cage. You can go and buy most bottle cages and most of them work, but there's not a lot of people that have when, come out with an affordable. Can somebody tell me this in the comments, somebody who's smarter than me, when did the modern bottle cage get invented? I imagine there was a time before bottle cages on bikes. That's a great yeah, question. A long time ago. That would have been with road bikes because we just stole it from road bikes and mountain bikes. I think they just rode with wine bottles back then. Yeah, strap like a <laughs> one of those big like a satchel Boda bags, like the yeah, that kind of leathery wine holder around their side. Yeah, another thing and I'm sure there's a word for around their chests. It's like a Boda bag, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So- Anyways, yeah. So I wrote about those things because somebody should make a cheap one. I got all kinds of people offering to make me 3D printed one. One guy was telling me basically how much it would cost me to go into business making tiny accessories for bikes, which I do not want to do. So. <laughs> What yeah. about Brian? You've been printing out some <laughs> of these Kaz would, 3D. <laughs> Kaz, you'd rather just like chirp from the sidelines. Yeah, yeah. I just want to tell people what to do, but not actually do it. So. Yeah. <laughs> That's been my strategy for a long time, Kaz. It's great. <laughs> yeah, it works out. <laughs> but even talking, I did talk to a couple of companies. So I did some like minimal research for this. I've been talking with companies. A lot of them had projects planned, but they just never got around to doing it because making, getting into the accessory thing is pretty low on most bike manufacturers' list of priorities. So uh, I'm sure we'll see something eventually. We do have all these bikes coming out with all these threaded holes everywhere and not a lot of things that bolt onto them. I th- like Wolf Tooth makes something. I'm sure there's a couple other things, but... Did you look at my article? No, I actually didn't. Because <laughs> yeah, like, that's kind of what the article was about. <laughs> yeah, and that, but that's my point is that these companies, I feel like a company like Specialized or Giant or these bigger companies, they should be selling their bikes with a kit that bolts up on there or maybe as a, like an aftermarket If only option. Specialized had some sort of integrated system to carry I don't things. want to put things in my down tube. <laughs> I don't it like it. It goes in the head tube. <laughs> yeah, Specialized has a dial. They don't have anything to worry about. Yeah, no, Specialized does have a dial. That was a bad example. But you know what I'm saying? There's all these bikes with threaded holes worth of things. Imagine if someone wrote a whole article about it and put it on the website. Frig. And then lots of people commented. Yeah, it'd be crazy. Lots of people commented? Oh, it, it struck it's, a nerve, man. It it's the like, number one most read article of the last week. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> I never would have guessed. I know. It's February. People click on anything. Well, I'll, I'll read it after this podcast, Cass. You should. Yeah. It's on PickBike? I think so. Okay. Yeah. Brian, you print 
don't you weren't you printing some 3d two boulders or something yeah i did 3d print one for kaz and then he gave me he told me it was bad so i made a new one i'll send you a new one kaz it's, it's was, better you gave me a couple they're fine they work fine well it, he had a good point that it's um the the tube can the tube strap can kind of slide around forward and backwards so yeah, you, imagine how pissed off i'd be if i'd paid for like injection molded ones and i had ten thousand of them to sell not good no not, not good. good i'd have to do some marketing yeah, that's <laughs> it's on purpose, guys. That's a feature, not a bug. Slides forward, <laughs> floating backwards. tube mounting. Yeah. Okay, let's let's move on to questions. We've got three questions today, and the first one is from Chris Rayner. He says, "How do I find a good riding coach? I've taken lessons before from an ex-pro, but he moved. Are online courses enough? Do I need to spend a few days at a bike park? I think I think he means bike park. He says bike work." but I think he means bike park. What's the best way to advance riding skills? And my opinion with this is a one-on-one coaching session in a bike park, lift access riding. Um, And even lift access riding, like once you spend a day with the coach and you have those basics down and drilled into your head, if you're in a bike park, that's like the perfect place to practice that over and over and over and over again. Point the hips, point the hips, point the hips. <laughs> yeah, I don't even think you need to go to a bike park, though. Like my partner, she has her own coaching business. And a lot of the coaching just takes place in a grassy field with a bunch of little like skills, stunts and drops and things just to get the basics dialed before going on to harder things. Like bike park is a great way eventually. But sometimes people just need people of all abilities need just the basics kind of reinforced again, you know, whether it's cornering position or just general body position. So, um, yeah, I'd say as far as finding a coach, just go to your local bike shops, a good place to start. A lot of times they'll know who in town is good at coaching and also, you know, look at recommendations and reviews and that type of thing. But, um, yeah, it's worth it for any, anybody of all abilities. Yeah. And if they ask if online courses are enough, and I think a lot of the time you might think you're doing what you're, what the online video told you to, um, but a coach will actually tell you like, no, your hips are not where you think they are. Um, and if you do decide to go that route, I think at least videoing yourself is kind of a, a key step. But ideally, you have somebody tell you and video you and then go through that video process with you makes it a lot easier. I, I think the limitation of online video course things, I was talking to Cathro about this, is that it's really easy to watch it, absorb it, go out for a ride, try a few of the things and then immediately start having fun on your ride and just have your regular ride rather than working on those fundamental skills. So, you know, getting some one-on-one in-person time forces you to, to focus on those things. Um, and I, I gotta say, Levi, I agree with you on the bike park thing in terms of getting better. So I took a huge step back in my riding after I broke my arm and coming back, like just my brain was not there. And I think the, the only thing that helped me last year was, just I, I was at Big White for the for the Pink Bike Academy for the first couple of days and just three days in a row at the bike park and I was able to get my head mostly right about riding again. Just took so yeah, just like over and over and over and all of a sudden you're practice. Le- yeah, and leaning further forward again, not being so goddamn scared and just yeah, it was good. That's a that's a tough one. You you mentioned leaning forward. I mean, once you you've gotten tossed a bunch of times or had some bad injuries and you get back on the bike, what do you do when you get a little scared and uncomfortable? You certainly don't lean forward, do you? Yeah. I might need a sports psych. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, we all lean back because we're scared. <laughs> hey, have any of you guys, have any of you three taken riding lessons from a coach or anything before? Yeah, me neither. I think I would like to, personally. I mean, like, we ride all these different bikes so much. That a lot of times I think that I definitely could improve. Who would have thought I could get better still, Casimir? Well, yeah. Yeah. Once the border opens, come down. <laughs> Angie will give you a lesson. <laughs> I did the live uh, ladies ride at the Whistler Bike Park two years ago, I guess. And they kind of divided everybody into groups based on skill level and had coaches um, kind of run us through A-line. And I thought that was a really great experience. And I've been meaning to hire a personal coach, like to, you know, keep developing those skills since then, but haven't got around to it, but definitely makes such a big difference. Yeah. Before, just one other thing before we move on, stretching out this coaching question here is you, you mentioned hiring, like it could, how much is, how much does that cost to get a coach in the sea to sky? Like it's got to be a couple hundred bucks for a day or something like that. That's money. So well spent people. 
like do not buy your XTR derailleur with that money. Buy a coaching day, maybe, if you want it. Yeah, like if you first like carbon wheels versus coaching, coaching is gonna be way more beneficial beneficial out on the trail. Like, yeah, it's worth it. Yeah. Next next question is from PB user Chris Brown225. I don't think that's the actual Chris Brown. He wants to know who from the pig bike team has the most crashes. Ooh, how do you calculate? It's the <laughs> how long have you been riding versus how many times you yeah. crash in a year? <laughs> yeah, You're miles, a older like, than me, <laughs> so by default, I'm not the one that has the most crashes done. <laughs> Kaz, I would suggest that you don't crash often, but when you do, it's a yard yeah. sale and it's not good. I mean, I've had some, yeah, injuries, but crashes, I don't actually crash very often at all. Like, I hate crashing, so I don't. And I know Christina's gone through some phases where she crashes a lot. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah, that's Christina who I can send it. To Christina <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> I, don't I, think, I don't think we have a clear answer. No, I think I've crashed too much over the last few years, to be honest. <laughs> like riding little, I got on this little bike train, like short travel bikes, and then I moved to Squamish. It's pretty rowdy, <laughs> you know? And uh, yeah, so I think I've been crashing too much lately, but I'm going to solve that somehow. Maybe I'll get a coach. Coach, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, last question is from Owl X. He wants to know, when will you admit bikes are solved? Guys, are bikes as good as they're ever going to get? No, they're never going to be solved. There always going to be some guy that comes up with some X little thing that's a little bit better. They're not bad now. Like there's not a ton of things that immediately come to mind. Like this needs to be fixed right now, but. Is there anything that does come to mind that needs to be fixed? I think there's, we're still in the geometry, like geometry is still getting dialed in for bikes. I choose tires. Yeah. yeah tires could be a lot better. But they're pretty good though. Like, you know what I mean? There's nothing that's like, this is, I can't, it's, it has so much room for improvement, but like if you put some double down or super gravity tires on, it's yeah. unlikely to flat very often. Yeah. I also don't grip. want my wheels to have eight pound tires on them, Casimir. It's just because you're weak. I am going to crush you. I cannot wait until the border opens. <laughs> <laughs> I think the border is like, hold me back, bro, for Levy. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would totally come over there, but the border. <laughs> um, I think some other things that people might pick that could be improved, derailers. That's, a, that's an easy one. I imagine there's going to be a bunch of comments about low-hanging derailers getting knocked off. What else, guys? Anything? Uh, I mean, I think, there's always going to be something, but I also think about things that have been around a lot longer than mountain bikes and they're still, they're still improving cars yeah. and all kinds of yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, horse, horses are getting upgraded. Yeah. yeah the latest horseshoe technology, the new horseshoes, they got those carbon fiber horseshoes dialed. <laughs> I should I think, tell you I guys. This... Say, I think we should just say like Alex bikes are pretty goddamn good. And I think by within the next two years, almost every brand will have fairly reasonable geometry and it'll, will, it'll be kind of just right now. I think the gold rush is on, is on e-bike development. Like those things are turning over and changing a ton with every generation, whereas regular bikes aren't going to be changing a ton with every generation. Brian, you interrupted my story about when I took a lot of horse creatine. So uh, I just won't, <laughs> I won't say that story. <laughs> well, no, but you what, I, what do you mean you cannot say that? <laughs> When, when we decided to stop taking it, we threw it on the grass outside and the grass was never the same. <laughs> What's the difference between horse creatine and regular creatine? I don't know. And that's part of the problem. <laughs> Where'd you get it? <laughs> oh, my buddy Wayne. Oh. It was cheaper. <laughs> this is a long time ago. or something? This was a long time ago. Was it for like biking or for a, a bodybuilder? In the past it's for life. <laughs> yeah. Cool. <laughs> One thing where I think things could improve a lot still are value bikes, which kind of leads us into our discussion here. Uh, there are lots of sports that don't require pricey and sometimes confusing equipment to take part in. I'm a huge fan of cheese rolling, everybody. Um, but that's just me. me. Too. Did yeah. you see the Netflix video on cheese rolling? No, I haven't. There's a I'll whole video There's a whole on video. cheese There's a whole like, documentary on cheese rolling. Oh oh, people just getting owned? Oh, yeah. It's awesome. Like just flying down the hill. Do they this take one... the cheese home when they get it? Yeah, I think that's the prize. This one girl is like the, the winner in this town. I think it's in England somewhere. I'll send you it. It's worth watching because it's ridiculous. Just ragdolling and then she wins. So fun fact, my wife attended the Whistler cheese rolling a few years ago. And the cheese 
jumped. I was doing something at Crankworks and there's a cheese rolling and she was over bike bros, which is fair. Crankworks <laughs> cheese rolling? No, no, no. Like next to Crankworks. Yeah, they have it every year. Rolling. Yeah. So she went to check oh. it out. The cheese jumped the fence and just nuked her. Took oh. her right out. Like she had this huge bruise on her hip. It was like. It's a really, big thing of cheese, isn't it? Yeah, it's huge. And it's, it's like a cheese down wheel. the hill. Yeah. So anyways. Well. Dangerous sport. Mountain biking doesn't require any cheese, but it does require some relatively expensive equipment sometimes. Uh, and it's also a sport where you can literally buy more performance and speed. It's like, Casimir, I don't think I'm out of line when I say that if I'm on an $800 hardtail, if I went and spent eight grand on the bike, I'm going faster instantly. Correct? I think in that case, yeah, there'll be a definitely, it'll help your performance for sure. Right. That's a pretty big spread with numbers. I thought you were going to say, I thought you were going to say it doesn't require any cheese, but it does require some cheddar. I thought that's where you're going with that one. <laughs> I'm glad he did. Oh, can, can I go back? <laughs> no. It's too late now. Just it's keep rolling. Late. Damn it. <laughs> so things get a little foggy though, when you start talking about the two and $3,000 range, when, I mean, those bikes, they're coming with great geometry. Often it's the same geometry that's used on the $10,000 super bike and suspension that probably doesn't have as many dials, but it certainly doesn't do anything wrong. You know, I love riding all these fancy bikes that we get to test. These $10,000 things where they're, you know, they're only making 20 of them a year and it's got something super crazy and interesting. And I'm just as curious about the performance as you guys are. But the truth is there's obviously a price point where you start to get some diminishing returns. And that brings us to the value field test, which and we've done one of these things before, haven't we, Kazer? Kazimer? Yeah, we did last year in Sedona. It's a good time. That was a good time. And I think it was it was pretty well received. So here we are again. This time around, we're in Seashelt, uh, just on the coast of BC. We've got 10 bikes, five hardtails, and five full suspension bikes. Uh, should we just should we just tell them what bikes we have, Brian? Yeah, sure. So our full suspension bikes, all of these are under three thousand dollars. It starts off the least expensive bike is the new Da Vinci Marshall. That's a 130 millimeter travel bike with a 140 millimeter fork. That one's 2,100 bucks, guys. Looks great. Uh, the Polygon Cisco. Do you think I pronounced that right? Cisco. No. <laughs> Guarantee you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so this thing, this is probably the most expensive looking bike that we have here. It's a 135 millimeter bike and it's $2,369 American. We also have another giant Trans X. 29.3, this one without live valve, everybody. Uh, it's a 135 millimeter bike with a 150 millimeter fork and it's 2,500 bucks. I'm really curious to see how that one compares for you. How you got on right. that one. Yeah, we might have to talk about that one a bit in a in some other venue comparing it to the other trance with the live valve because that's going to be interesting. Uh, we also have a player that we don't see that often, Marin. Marin? Rift Marin. Zone 293. <laughs> this is a 125 mil bike, uh, and it's 2679 American. And then we have that Ibis Ripley AF. You guys already saw it in the video. That's the new aluminum Ripley. This is also the shortest travel full suspension bike we have here. So this is a 120-130 bike, and it is $2,999 American. It's just under three grand. Kaz, you want to tell them about the hardtails? Sure. Yeah. So for the hardtail category, we've got bikes roughly around fifteen hundred US dollars. There some that are a tiny bit above, but overall that was the the place we started. So we've got the uh, Vitas Sentier twenty nine VR, and that goes for sixteen eighty seven. And that one has a hundred thirty mil fork up front. Um, the next one is the BMC two stroke AL one. That's fifteen ninety nine US, and that's kind of a little more on the cross country side of things. Hundred mils of travel, but could be a good option, um, you know, kind of the aspiring cross-country racer. So we wanted to bring that in and see how it fares. We also have the Norco Fluid HT1. That one's right at $14.99. That's a 120 mil fork. So that Rocky Mountain Growler 40, kind of pretty modern geometry on that one. So kind of interesting to kind of come arrange geometries in here. So it's going to be interesting to see how they stack up. And that one goes, that's the one that's a little bit out of our price range, $16.69 US dollars. That's the 140 mil fork. 
and then the final one, we've got that new Canyon Stoic. This is the Stoic 3. That goes for 1099 US dollars. And that's with a 140 mil fork. So that bike just came out a few months ago. So pretty good spread in there. Brian, is there a hardtail in there that you look at and you're like, oh, well, this thing, <clears throat> this thing sure looks interesting. <clears throat> Why you got to look at me for hardtail stuff? Your hardtail guy. <laughs> you bring it up all the time. $10,000 hardtail. <laughs> hey, for the record, how did I end up with five hardtails? Yeah, because I told you to. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay, fair. Fair. I guess I am hardtail guy. I just think it's an important category for people right now. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. (laughs) You know, that BMC, that's the Mm -hmm. most XC bike that we have here. It it the stem is slammed. There's there's no spacers. It's got a hundred mil fork. I think it's probably got the steepest head angle. I don't know what it is off the top of my head. And it also looks like it costs five thousand dollars. It does look really good. And I think the one, it's that's one of the ones I'm most interested in too because I, you know, f- for me personally, I'm not really about the 140, 160 mil hardcore hardtail stuff. I I think I think hardtails are cool. My personal thing is, it kind of tops out around 120 for me. It's like after that, maybe maybe grab a different bike or, you know, if that's the terrain you want to ride. I don't know. Mm. I like at, 140. Because 120, you use up all the travel, and you're using then you only have like 20 mil left. At least 140, there's some more room. <laughs> Guys, put more air in it. No, I only use thirty percent sag. <laughs> if you're using your, all, if you're using all 140 millimeters, wouldn't you just have more fun on a bike that had 140 millimeters in the back too? That does you not. That's it. not how you define value. how and much travel you want. Yeah, yeah, value. Also, I know, two of them I... don't have dropper posts, so that's you know going to be Ooh. exciting as well. Hundred, yeah, hundred millimeter BMC two stroke, no dropper posts, full XC mode here. We might have mm-hmm. to bring out the spandex again. Maybe. I didn't. I didn't bring any. I didn't. Oh, no. I, I feel like someone either. specifically told me not to bring any at some point. <laughs> I think I probably audience, told you never to wear it again. I think yeah. the audience told you specifically <laughs> yeah. not to bring it. Yeah. Or the video guys because they didn't want to blur everything out again. Yeah. Yeah. It's too uh, gold for spandex anyways. <laughs> the other hardtail of the group that I'm interested in is that Canyon Stoic 3. I mean, this thing is just over a thousand bucks. It's got a Sun Tour fork on the front, 140 mils travel, um, hydraulic disc brakes and... You know, we don't ride a lot of these things, do we, Kaz? No, not, I don't ride a ton of hardtails. Or $1,000 hardtails. Like, I think the last fork you wrote about cost more than that, didn't it? Probably. Yeah, that's about <laughs> yeah, these days. That, yeah. that EXT definitely costs more <laughs> yeah, than the Canyon. You can buy one three. fork or one complete bike. Yeah. Do you guys, do you have a bike, a full suspension bike that you think is going to win? What do you think is going to do the best? Um, a pretty good batch of bikes in there i'd put some money on that marin or the polygon i feel like those two have pretty good good numbers they look pretty good on paper here's the question though are you are you basing it just on pure performance or also on value because there is a bit of a spread from two to three grand i don't base anything on value but in the value field (laughs) test you kind of need to oh yeah i'm I'm putting mine more on performance and value i mean more performance but i think the value is already there since they're included in this category but but yeah, like that Siskiyou for what it looks like and the price and hopefully that rides well. Yeah. So some of these bikes to come in at these price points have some interesting component specs on them. So that Siskiyou is a good example. So that has a rhythm fork with that grip damper. Pff, nothing to complain about there. It's got great tires. It's got some Schwalbe rubber on it, some high-end tires. Um, the rear suspension, it's going to work great. I've actually already ridden this bike a fair bit and it works great. And the bike also looks expensive. But every bike has a couple things that you look at and you're like, oh, I wonder how this is going to work out. And in the Cisco's case, it's the textural brakes. I'm not going to talk about them yet, whether they're good or bad. Just because I'm talking about them doesn't mean they're bad either. Um, but it's it's this kind of thing that makes these bikes so much more interesting, Casimir. We have some of these bikes have resin-only rotors and pads on them and i mean that's a question why does a value bike need to have freaking brakes that could be better but they're not you know well because everybody's trying to save a dollar here and there which is which makes sense you need to you need to shave these these bills of material down it's so easy for us build to just get out of control um what i'm what i'm interested in about these bikes is since last year what's changed like how is the landscape different how is this crop different to the ones you did last year? I think last this year we've got Shimano yeah. back in the mix for drivetrains. 
right? Like a, a decent number of the ones. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure a decent number of yeah. the bikes we got in this year have the Dior drivetrains on them, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Last year, yeah. Of the- yeah, where last year was dominated by SRAM NX and SX because the Shimano had, didn't have their budget 12-speed drivetrain yet. So, Kaz, what do we think of that Dior? I'm a huge fan. Yeah, so it's yeah. good to, like, I'd, if I would, I wouldn't personally choose to run NX or SX on my personal bike just because the the feel overall performance isn't quite there but dior i would happily run so i think that's for me that's the difference and it's cool to see it on these budget bikes anything else that's different things you guys have noticed on the spec or the the general trends i mean one thing we should talk about a little bit is that i'm gonna be so bummed when people ask about why this bike wasn't there that bike wasn't there like there's not that many bikes available right now guys (laughs) No. Yeah, I was pretty impressed. Oh. We were able to get 10 yeah. Yeah. bikes. How, at a how did you get 10 bikes here, Casimir? <laughs> I had a lot of emails and things and backs and forths and figuring out how to get something from somewhere else. And yeah, it took some wrangling, but like, I think we only missed one bike, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, shout out to the companies for trying hard to get them to us, but it also, it took some back and forth and um, yeah, just pulling them from different spots around the world, but did it. Yeah. yeah, and especially in this category where this is, these are the bikes that are some of the most in demand bikes right mm-hmm. now. So, thank you for that. Um, yeah. Anything else you noticed that's that's different? I guess we'll find out. In the- yeah, you know, I'm I'm going to be honest with you, Brian. I've I've only ridden that Polygon, and I haven't really looked too closely at the other ones yet. <laughs> <laughs> don't look at the spec sheet till after. Yeah. No. I I mean seriously though, a lot of times we don't look at spec sheets and I definitely don't look at geo chart charts until I've been riding them a bunch. So it's sort of hard to preview uh preview these things sometimes. Um yeah, I think that the front of the bikes are going to be interesting, the suspension forks. We we see some of these the slightly more expensive value bikes have higher end dampers and things like that and then we have some lower end forks on some of the other stuff so that'll be interesting i know kaz at the last value field test that was a point that we brought up a fair bit wasn't it mm-hmm. yeah no yeah last year i remember it was that vetus that kind of impressed us because i had the marzocchi uh z2 on it and that was a fork that kind of stood out above some of the other ones um and there were you know every once in a while you get one bike that has kind of the one step down um rock shocks fork or I think most cases last year we had a lot of rock shocks, 35s and maybe it's in that. So yeah, some of them work better than others. So it's definitely something to consider when you're shopping for a value bike is what, yeah. what forks on the front. Cause that's an expensive upgrade. You know, a fork can be almost half the price of these bikes. What's on the front of that Ripley AF? It's a Fox rhythm with a grip damper. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's the one that's the outlier, but a couple of other. It's also bikes the are... most expensive bike. Here. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But that's what I mean. It's like a couple of the other bikes also have. Uh, grip dampers in there so yeah the polygon has the same fork right yep 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 and we got a bunch of 35s we have a couple sun tour forks yeah i think it's going to be it's going to be pretty interesting i want to go back i want to talk about how these things how value bikes have changed over the years what makes these three thousand dollar bikes better than they were 10 or even 20 years ago guys everything yeah well i think we should i think we should say one of the things that gets us the most frustrated is not that you know not that we don't want to hold bike brands accountable and there are there are some absolutely obscene prices on bikes out there these days but i do feel like some bike brands get unfairly criticized for expensive bikes and there's this sentiment in the comments and just everywhere that bikes are getting more expensive and for me, there's this frustration that it's not that bikes are getting more expensive. It's that you can spend more on a bike if you want to, but bikes themselves are getting cheaper. You can get a way better bike for way less money today than 10 years ago or and definitely 20 years ago. Oh yeah. I, I suspect that some of these commenters maybe weren't around back then and they're just making the assumption because they see a high price. I, Hey, so this is the perfect example. I pulled up Two bikes to use as an example for this, Brian. I pulled up a 2001 Kona Stinky Deluxe. We're going in the Wayback Machine here. Yes. This thing cost 2800 bucks back in 2001. I don't know what that is now. Casimir, can you tell me what that is now? I can figure it out while I go. <laughs> yeah. That thing came with Easton aluminum tubing, rad tubing, a Marzocchi yes. Z3, raised brakes. Though. Yeah. 
Shimano nine-speed drivetrain with an 1132 spread. Um, in my research for that bike, Brian, I was Googling it and I found a catalog that gave tube diameters and thicknesses and weights and also told me what parts on the frame were forged and what weren't. It was pretty interesting. And, and did it say that that made all the difference in the world? Uh, it said a lot of things. I didn't read much of it. <laughs> yeah. so in today's money, that'd be 4,134. Holy shit, everybody. Yeah. Okay, so that thing has a 70 degree, 70 degree head angle. Surprisingly, has a 74 degree head angle. And it comes with an seat 80 angle, mil- 74 degree seat angle. Seat angle, everybody, sorry. And it comes with an 80 millimeter stem. So that's, how much was that? Four? Yeah, four grand. Holy crap. Yeah. So I think people forget that inflation. So in your mind, yours can go by really fast. You're like, I paid $2,000 for this bike and it was amazing. But you're like, well, yeah, but today that'd be $4,000. So it was, I, yeah. What was okay, the drivetrain, Levy? What was the drivetrain on Shimano 9 speed? Was it like an XT drivetrain? Uh, it's a bit of a mixed drivetrain. It's got some race face cranks, uh, Shimano rear derailleur, Shimano front derailleur. We don't know what, what level of Shimano rear derailleur? Uh, I did have it pulled up. I don't have it pulled up now. It was like X, S, SLX or LX or something. It wasn't that fancy. I think, I think a lot of it, a lot of that grumpiness is that it used to, the higher the highest end things have gotten more expensive so it costs more money to get the nicest bike in the world like to get the nicest bike in the world in 2001 was not 15 20,000 but now it is and i think that's where some of that grumpiness is is like i want to have the best in the world and i can no longer afford it and it's relative to it's relative to everything else it's not relative to to the bikes in the past cuz that bike any any hundred millimeter any of the bikes in this field test value field test are going to destroy it so i was just going to say i mean we have that polygon here that thing is like twenty six hundred dollars and it will destroy that kona it comes with a dropper post it has good geometry geometry is free it comes with great tires um great rear suspension a single ring drivetrain with a huge well We'll get to that. Maybe it's got a wide-ish range. Um, but yeah, it's uh, you get way more for your money nowadays and way more performance, way more versatility. I pulled another bike up. I jumped forward 10 years. This one's, this one's real interesting. Speaking of versatility, 2011 Kona Coil Air. It's also $2,800. Well, I found the first Kona and then I wanted to compare you know, apples to apples. Uh, this one's not an Apple, though. I don't know what this is. Um, this one's $2,800 in 2011, Casimir. The rear travel ranges from 130 to 200 millimeters with the magic link, everybody. <laughs> so that would be like a $3,200 bike these days. Okay. Aluminum frame. You get a Talus fork, a Fox fork. That's a pretty good fork. Avid brakes. A bit of a shit mix drivetrain. Uh, race face cranks. Uh, Shimano front derailleur. I think it had a SRAM rear derailleur. 66 degree head angle, 73 degree seat angle, no dropper post, tires that probably go flat, three times a ride. Yeah. You got all those chain rings up front. You get more for your money. You that's true. You do get more chain rings. rings. I have one on the other bikes. <laughs> <laughs> do you, and you, do the, you guys? The little, the little spring, right? Isn't you, that the. Yeah. It has the, it has a, there's the coil air used a magic link and it basically like changed the leverage ratio. It gives it 130 to 200 millimeters of travel, depending on, depending on what did it depend on, Kaz? How did that work? I think it depend where it's in, where it is in its travel. Is that how that worked? Or the angle the bike is at? Like if it's tilted way down, does it automatically get more travel? I picture it's like a little comfort spring. Yeah. I don't want to test one, but we could. I will. Yeah, <laughs> I do like linkage forks. So I mean, like this is like a linkage fork on the back of your bike. That's what it is, <laughs> right? <laughs> Can I think the the test I would be most interested in is how like that 2001 Stinky Deluxe. Mm-hmm. I would love to see how like literally a a thousand dollar hardtail from today with good geometry compares to that. What do you think you would prefer? 
riding on like some remote remotely chatting. Do I have to keep this the 80 mil stem? No, you could change the stem if you want. I don't want you to die. Yeah. (laughs) I think I think I still die because it's gonna have like a 350 millimeter reach and a 70 degree head tube angle. I think I'll take the hardtail. A 90 degree head tube angle when that fork bottoms out. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) It's so aggressive. I'll ride the stinky. We all rode him back then. It was just fine. So I'll take that one. I'll take the squish. (laughs) Yeah. So I got another question for you guys. If cheap bikes are so good these days, actually inexpensive, not cheap. There's a big difference. If inexpensive bikes are so good these days, why is there such a gap to the top of the line bikes? Like, Brian, how much better is a $13,000 bike than a $3,000 bike? It's, It's certainly not four times better. Yeah. yeah, it's the kind of what we were talking about before, like the diminishing returns. But things do get more expensive because there's guys like you that want the fancy electronic wireless shifting that adds a lot of money to a bike. People want carbon wheels, lightweight parts, and they just add costs. Maybe not necessarily as much performance as they cost, but it does get expensive yeah. quickly. I think we should also touch on the fact that these these super bikes, I mean, S-Works is a good example. S-Works is a marketing thing. You know, those those expensive bikes, they sell a lot more less expensive bikes from the same brand, mm-hmm. I would imagine. Yeah. And you there's nothing what? wrong. I mean, I'm going to say that it, I like that the fact that these crazy expensive bikes, like well, part of the reason I get to ride them. But also, like, there's yeah. there's room for everything. Just like in the car world, you know, there's room for your supercars, your Lamborghinis and McLarens or whatever. And then there's room for your Toyota Corolla. Like, they all do the same thing. But it's kind of, you know, some people have disposable income and want to buy the fancy bikes and then... The rest of us on more normal stuff, a tiny bit of disposable income, just want a decent bike. So, I also think that it's a great example because there's the bike industry isn't a parallel to the to the motorcycle industry or anything else. Where, like today, I can go or you can go and buy a Maury Piron's bike or Aaron Gwynn's bike, and kinda well, mostly, almost, almost entirely. You know, maybe you have to wait a year. You know, but mm-hmm. you can buy a insanely nice bike and because it's bikes they're a lot more attainable than race cars from for most people like you know like it's just that in if we were having a real parallel to cars or to motorcycles like what's being raced in supercross is not your seven thousand dollar motorcycle you can go out and buy and then complain that your mountain bike is seven thousand dollars it just doesn't even have a motor you know like yeah it's not one fork tube costs seven thousand dollars on that's like yeah Yeah. the f1 steering wheel that probably cost like 50 grand right more more yeah yeah so (laughs) it's not the motorsport parallel we we like to say it because it makes us feel cool exactly there's no motorsport parallel no but what i mean is like it's this is an attainable way for people to be able to dabble in having the best thing the best possible bike you know like there's no way any of us could ever ever buy these fancy supercars but maybe if we like sold some plasma and did a bunch of other stuff we could buy one of these really fancy bikes you know so it's like slightly more attainable so do you think that's why people are upset about it like bike the the nicest bike in the world used to be more attainable for them just a couple of stolen sold organs on the black market and now it's too many organs they don't have enough organs to sell yeah i mean it's kind of a natural thing it's the same reason people like to make fun of just people with fancier things you know it's a little bit of jealousy i think which is fine like it's you know as long as you aren't just a super dick about it but uh, you know when you see something that you can't have and probably can't ever have it's it's a hard thing to swallow so is is this like everybody who's everybody who's slower than me on the highway is just so goddamn slow and in and like such a nervous nelly and then everybody then faster than me is a goddamn maniac people are slower than you on the highway (laughs) i set myself up for that didn't i (laughs) i had to brian and i should have a slow race a slow driving race yeah you guys get the best fuel economy of anybody that works Uh, at at bike. we have the least the least number of speeding tickets best fuel economy (laughs) sarah have you Um, got a speeding ticket i got a speeding ticket once i was going 80 in a 50 zone Sarah's got a lead foot. She has like her secret speed thing. Yeah. I like to go a little bit faster than the speed limit and, you know, not get caught. Hopefully. Yeah. Got caught once. So I feel like the price of that speeding ticket, it's like. You can average you it, it over. It, uh, over oh, yeah. If you track. average it over all the time I'm going over the speed limit, then it's really not that expensive. Yeah. My fan can't really go faster than the speed limit. <laughs> Kaz, have you ever had a speeding ticket? No. 
Never. I've never owned a vehicle. I've never owned a vehicle that was more than five grand and that could go more than like 65 miles an hour. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you could speed anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've yeah. never had a speeding ticket though. I actually don't drive that much either. So no. Brian, have you had a speeding ticket? No, I haven't had a speeding ticket. <laughs> I've had oh, other things, like but not a speeding ticket. <laughs> I'm not ashamed. That just means I'm better at avoiding the cops than you. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying you should be ashamed. I'm saying you got a ticket at our last field test. Yeah. I was mm-hmm. rushing to get back to ride bikes. Yeah. yeah. It was important. <laughs> <laughs> okay, everybody, let's wrap this up with some predictions from this field test. Uh, Sarah, you and I are going to ride these bikes for many, many days coming up here. Do you have a favorite? Is there one of the bikes where you're like, oh, this looks interesting? Uh, I guess on the hardtail side, like that Rocky Mountain growler i think even though it's a hardtail it's got some good numbers and longer travel forks i think it'll be pretty fun to ride uh got some throwbacks or flashbacks to the xcdc field test with a couple of the other ones but i'm excited to see kind of how those compare to the you know ten thousand dollar bikes that we were riding last time around for the xc field test and then i'm pretty excited about that ibis ripley because i spent Mm -hmm. some time during the bc bike race on the carbon version so excited to try the aluminum version of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think for me, I am really interested in that Canyon Stoic, that $1,100 hardtail uh, with the Suntour fork. I just want to see how comfortable I feel on it, really. what uh, I mean, is it as simple as putting like more aggressive tires and maybe a different stem on it or something, and then you could do whatever you want on it? Um, and I think that BMC is pretty interesting, too. I mean, you guys know that I like the XC stuff a bit. Um, so for me, that's one that kind of interests me, um, on the full suspension bike front. I mean, I haven't spent a lot of time on Polygon, so it's that Cisco that's interesting. And it also looks like the highest end bike here. Um, so yeah, it'd be nice if it performed like it too. Kaz from afar, what do you think? What are your guesses? Yeah, those, I mean, those all seem like pretty good. I'd be interested. No one mentioned that growler. That looks pretty interesting to me. Uh, just like a little Sarah more did. modern. Sarah did. Oh, did you? You're not listening? No, we had zoned out. What happened? I was just playing the connection. It's a connection, bad connection. We're on the Sunshine Coast, you know, internet. <laughs> yeah, <terrible>. yeah, <laughs> something weird. And I heard her talk about the Ripley, but but yeah, I'm, I'm with Sarah on that. The Growler looks interesting. Um, and then, yeah, same with the Polygon. And I do want to hear how that trance works too, we mentioned earlier, but mm. just kind of see what, what the budget version of that, um, how that compares to that with the $12,000 one that you had in the last field test. So good, good talking points there. What other predictions do you guys have in terms of general like spec things? Is there things you think you're going to get along with? Don't think you're going to get along with? What's what's the same? What's different? Well, last year we complained about some of the ergonomics of the inexpensive shifters and brakes and stuff like that. Like, why do the brake levers need to be big enough for five fingers? Because they don't have enough power. Um, stuff like that. And I think that's still the case. You know, I built these, well, Alex built the bikes and I've done some setup stuff on them and it's still the same. If you're not spending a ton of money, you're not really getting much in the way of adjustable ergonomics and hand position stuff. Um, and then the fork. That bums me out because it's free, right? Like that, that shouldn't It isn't. More... It isn't Having... free. What do you mean? Having well, the, the, your the shifter in the right place? Yeah, the the shifter that costs more money is the one that has the other position. So it's cost more. I don't money. need it. It's not free. I don't need it adjustable. It just needs to be in the right place. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. the right yeah. place for you, the right place for me, the right place for Levy, the right place for Kaz. Oh, no, we I don't have the same length of fingers. <laughs> I get on other people's bikes and they're fine. It's not, it, they're fine. People aren't that. I, I do sometimes get on some of the cheap bikes or like on the new the, or the original Axis. I was so confused about the hand position there. It's like they just didn't get it right. And now the new version is much better, but it's I've actually gone back to the old paddle, eh? What? Yeah, I like the old paddle better now. Oh, weird. Yeah. Weird. Anyways. And, and, yeah, we don't need to talk about axis at our value. No, yeah, now it <laughs> costs axis costs as much as the Canyon Stoic. <laughs> yeah, for the derailleur. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I do agree that cockpit setup is always a kind of a frustrating thing in the value world. And the fact that some of them don't have dropper posts, that's one of those things that everybody deserves a dropper post. So, you know, people buying those bikes will have to budget another 200 bucks or so for that. So. And just like counting 
clicks yesterday as we were setting up some of the bikes. It's like, these are not like as defined clicks as you get on a higher end suspension fork or so yeah. You know, you're a little, a little bit more guesswork about like, oh, did I hear that? Like, is it is it a solid click or, yeah, yeah. That's that's a really good point, actually, sir. We have that was on a, a Rockshox 35. The rebound adjuster is just kind of soft when you turn it. It's like, oh, like that felt like a little bump. Let's just call it a click, and it's just a little vague feeling. And that's not specific to them. Um, it's the same on some of the other stuff as well, too. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. All right, as sometimes we're going to wrap this up with comment gold. The first one, it's on Tom Bradshaw's Bikes of the North Shore. So Tom went out to North Vancouver and did a video where he just talked to everyday riders about the bikes that they're riding. So that's on the homepage right now. Make sure you check it out. Comment gold from there is from NateDog82. That's the appropriate username for this too. He says, Dogs of North Shore up next? Yes, 100%. Followed by well, cats the, of North Shore since uh, yeah. I already decided that I'm not a fan of dogs. So. <laughs> yeah. Just to remind everybody, Kaz hates dogs. <laughs> this next one's savage. This is on the uh, article about Mavic announcing a lifetime warranty on carbon wheels. Uh, CA Mark II, possibly is his username. He says, lifetime of the wheel or lifetime of Mavic. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That is, it's a worthy question. <laughs> right, right now, it's, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully they can turn that around. But my God, that's a very clever comment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we have another one here from Mark444. He says, you guys should do a follow-up on bikes that got produced but shouldn't have. Yeah, that was... <laughs> this is good. This is on an article. I think James put it together about protos that never made it to production. So he wants to see an articles about bikes that should never have been produced, which is fair. That's a long article. I don't know if, if our servers can handle that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're going to end with another one here that it's comic gold, but it might have some truth to it. I don't think people will like it though. No, uh, this is that's not true. No. Oh, I, I'm going to argue for it. Oh Pedals my are God. garbage, dude. <laughs> yeah, but Pedal bearings wrong. are garbage. But what's wrong with Let the... me get to the comment. Oh yeah, people God. are going to be confused. Let's read the comment first, <laughs> and then they can make So this is on the article, SRAM buys time. Um, time pedals, for everybody that doesn't know, they're kind of a weird pedal that's not super so common, good. but so good. the people that like them really like them. They're, they're great pedals. First pair uh, of pedals. Yeah, sub, my first pair of clipless pedals were frogs. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, <Speed nuts. laughs> Don't mind me. I'm just standing on ball bearings. <laughs> uh, so for the SRAM buys time article, Subway Panda says new pedal thread standard is coming. Wah, wah, wah. And you know what? It Leave should, everybody. You, let's, let's have this out now. I want to know why. Is this how I'm, we're going to end it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what sure. the hell is... I also need to say RC agrees with you, Levy. And remember how many times he told us this story about how he wants a new one? So I'll let you go with it. But this RC told many times he wants a new old thread stand. Oh, great minds think alike. We need to have RC back on here if he's going to agree with you. Just so you're not outnumbered. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So pedal bearings last about somewhere between 20 minutes and two days of riding until they feel like absolute trash. Your pedals that you choose to use. Yeah, you you only use HT pedals and like a specific (laughs) kind that just eats bearings. Yeah, they're the smallest like RC car bearings. They're They're the lightest pedals. (laughs) You could just go to Shimano and buy them for 25 years. (laughs) Okay, the reason I use HT is because they keep my feet in where they belong, not not because they're the lightest or they're the weirdest or anything like that. But I used to use Shimano pedals. I've used Crankbrother pedals. And they're all garbage. Bearings feel like <laughs> shit after <laughs> a while. Yes, they Shimano are. Shimano pedals that have been lasting for like six years at this point. Yeah. And they're totally fine. And I can okay, well, I've like got Shimano minutes. pedals that lasted me like two months. No. no. Yeah. No, no way. Don't. Yeah. No. Yes. What yes. went wrong with them? Shimano pedals are like Bearings the only like thing, the only thing that's them? reliable in the world. They're, they weren't the XTRs. They weren't rebuildable. They were like a, a cup and cone. A cup. No, they were they were a few levels down. Like the non, you can't. They're rebuildable, but you can't adjust the bearing tension. Is my point. Where on XTR, you can adjust the bearing tension. But you, I don't think you did it right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, everybody's pedals feel like shit, and we need larger bearings. The bearings should be in the crank arm, 
or somewhere else or just better. I don't know. No, you know what? Like, no, anyone listening to this, don't listen to Levy. <laughs> Everything's almost okay. Bearings in the crank arm is an interesting idea, but like there is nothing wrong with threaded, like pedal bearing threads right now. It's okay. What about the axles? The axles are tiny. The axles bend all the time. Well, you're They're not going to the axle that you bent. What? When's the last time you bent an axle? And what's I mean, a titanium? I have a whole, uh, it, I've definitely bent some titanium yeah. axles, but they're <laughs> <Yeah>. lighter. <laughs> Just joking. Yeah. No, I have bent axles on multiple HT pedals. I have bent axles on platform pedals <laughs> I've used. We're back to the same from, company. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have bent axles on all sorts of pedals I've used over the years. And I can go into the garage and look at other people's bikes that are hanging up there. And they also have bent axles. This is an issue. And you guys are just like, it's fine. It's not. I don't think it's an issue. But well, th- we have seen companies in the past try to make like oversized bearings. And who is that? Do you remember the company maybe 10 years ago that had the, there's, you there's had to buy the special cranks? Yeah. Yeah. Flypaper was one of the first ones. Yeah. There's been I some other ones. I, I understand that the general, no one wants a wholesale change. Like no one wants to get new cranks because they get new pedals. But at some point, the price of something improving and being a whole lot better and lasting three years instead of half a year or maybe one year is a wholesale change. You should buy Shimano. I'll, I'll figure out a way to increase the spring tension on Shimano pedals for you and send them to you Cass, and then you'll be set. I use Shimano pedals for years and years and years. No, and I'm going to make them stronger for you. Because they last that long. Yeah. No, yeah. they don't. <laughs> <laughs> they don't. All right. If anyone's using Shimano pedals, let us know in the comments how long they last. And if you have trouble with pedals, let us know as well because I don't agree with Levy on this one. Axles need to be better and bearings need to last way longer. You guys disagree with me? When and comb bearings on Shimano, I can easily rebuild. They last a really long time. And he uses a plastic tool that costs 50 cents. I don't care. I want them to be, I want to put them on the bike and they should just go. They're expensive. People you have heard so it here first. When, when the new pedal thread standard comes, you can trace it back to this moment <laughs> and you can call Levy. <laughs> Shit. Let me know. I'll give you his personal number and you can let him know what you think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm real good with my phone, everybody. Just give me a holler. <laughs> I'll make sure to answer. Okay. We're going to wrap this up. But everybody, I want you guys to tell me in the comments, do you think that it's time for a better pedal system that lasts longer? Brian is just dying of laughter here. Did you make a pun on purpose? <laughs> okay that's it for today's pink bike podcast number 50 we've hit number 50 already (laughs) 